all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, this group of people who have gathered in the city of Corinth. These are people that he is writing to who have confessed to have placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. But Paul, when he is writing to this church in Corinth, he knows that there are some people who are gathering with those Christians who have never placed their faith with Jesus in Jesus Christ. But they're still going to church and, and worshiping, and they're just there. The same is true here at Calvary Bible Church. There are many of us who come wanting to worship God, and that's great. It's well and proper that we should be here to worship God. We're here to worship God. We're here to learn about him and his ways through, through the Bible. We're here to encourage one another and push each other on to holiness and good works but there are some who are here who come who are not part of that group. They come here for many different reasons, but one of the reasons is not because they've made the personal decision to trust Jesus as their Savior, because they have never done that. They've never reached out and accepted the gift that Christ offers to the world, and therefore the hope of eternity is not theirs, even though they keep coming. Which one are you? Have you made the decision to trust Jesus as your Savior? To receive his gift of salvation? Trusting him alone and enter into that personal relationship that he offers at the moment of faith into all of eternity? Have you made that decision yourself? Some people say, oh, oh yeah, I've done that because you know what? I've taken communion. Therefore, I know I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Some say, oh, oh, I know I've done that because I've been baptized. Therefore, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Or, or I've, I've looked at this checklist of all these religious rituals and religious things that we're called to do, and I've checked some off. Therefore, I know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But none of those things cut it. They don't do it. Scripture is clear that it is not by works that we are saved but it is through faith. And so if we are trusting in something we have done to give us salvation or eternal life, we are living in hopelessness because it's not going to happen. Trusting in Jesus is not about our works. Trusting in Jesus is about giving up, taking the list, crumbling it up, throwing it over our shoulder, and turning to Jesus and saying, I believe that you are the Son of God and that you died on the cross for my sin because I could do nothing to change my situation. I'm dead in my sins, and so I trust in you alone to save me, not in my works, but in you. And people who do that themselves, personally, making that decision to turn to Jesus in faith are saved, and they're guaranteed in eternal life with Jesus. Have you done that? Are you part of those who are followers of Jesus Christ truly because of the decision you have made or you're those who are not followers of Jesus Christ because you have trusted in everything else? Paul is writing to a church where some who are there were not followers of Christ and he pleads with them to turn to Jesus, to turn to Jesus. 
But he's also writing to a church where the great majority of them have made that decision themselves, and he pleads with them, you know what Jesus has done, therefore now live accordingly. You know he has promised you eternity, and it is guaranteed because the blood of Jesus Christ. Now live because you know eternity is coming. And he writes at the end of chapter 15. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, because of everything I've written to you about the gospel and the resurrection, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because that you know the labor in the Lord is not in vain. He says, if we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus died for us because of his love for us, because of his resurrection from the dead, we then will live for him. We then will always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. I just took six weeks of preaching and boiled it down to five minutes. Now, if you're reading along in your Bible, you'll notice something happens. We go from chapter 15, and then we go to chapter 16. That's what our Bibles do. Now, Paul didn't write in chapters and verses. He wrote one letter to the church in Corinth. And then about, about a thousand years after he wrote it, they decided, you know, it would make it easier for us to read and reference things if we split it up. So they split it up into chapters. And then a couple hundred years after that, they said, you know what, make it even easier if we split it up into verses. And so we can say exactly 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and we can all go there together. It makes it easy, yes, but unfortunately, it also breaks up thought for us. And in our brain, subconsciously, we say, oh, chapter 15 must be one idea, and chapter 16 must be another. But Paul didn't write in chapters and verses. He, he's building an argument, and he has ebbs and flows to it as he moves from one point to the other point. And so we get to verse 16, and it's still taught, chapter 16, but it's still tied to chapter 15. He's saying, because of the promised resurrection, guaranteed by Jesus' death on the cross, guaranteed by his resurrection from the dead, he writes in our passage today in 1 Corinthians 16, verses, verse 1 to 4. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. (laughs) I hate verses like this. Paul believes that our salvation will change everything about us. He he believes that it will change how we worship. We've talked about that. He believes how it will change how we live amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ and among the community. We've talked about that. And Paul believes that our salvation and the coming resurrection will change how we handle our money. It's one thought in there. Now, I'm trying to advance the slide but it's not doing it. Uh, did you click off of the proclaim? Okay. Uh-huh. There we go. All right, so we're going to talk about today is because of the blessing of God, the followers of God give wisely and systemically from the provision of God to bless others. That is a mouthful. 
That is my outline. That's the point that I want to get across. But I don't expect any of us to actually remember that sentence. Because of the blessing of God, the followers of God give wisely and systemically from the purpose of God to bless others. If you try to say it 10 times fast, it's a lot of fun. What I want us to remember is that God has blessed us. So therefore, let's bless others. That's the point. And before we dive in, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for blessing us. Ultimately, by sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's not something we have to do, sacrifices we have to make, good works we have to plow through, but all we have to do is turn to you and believe and receive your amazing gift. And to those who have believed, those who have called upon your name, you give us the right to be called children of God. Lord, thank you for the faith that you give and the ability just to fall in you and have you change us from the inside out from that faith. Lord, if there's anyone here who has never made that decision, I ask that today would be the day of salvation, that they would turn before it's too late, and they could joy, enjoy the amazing blessedness of the hope, peace, joy, and love that comes from a personal relationship with you, our creator. And Father, as we study this verse, I ask that we would understand what it says and what it's not saying and that our lives would change to reflect your glory and your holiness so the world around us might know that you are our only king, you are our only God, and no one and nothing else is. And may we take those steps, no matter the result. Give me the wisdom today, Lord, to speak clearly and preach with boldness. And I ask that as I'm up here, I would decrease and that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. Let's first discuss the blessing of God. The blessing of God. I find it fascinating, the term that Paul uses in our passage, 1 Corinthians 16, uh, for, for the gift that the Corinthians are collecting and then sending on to Jerusalem. The term that he uses is actually grace. Grace. Our, our, our passage says, you know, It says in verse 3, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. But literally, that word is grace. I will send them with your grace to Jerusalem. It's the same word that Paul uses in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, where he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Grace is something that God gives to us those who do not deserve it. It's something that is given to someone who doesn't deserve it. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that was grace. We didn't deserve him doing that. Redemption and reconciliation is grace. Guarantee of an eternity on a perfected earth, that is grace. We don't deserve any of this, but God says, here you go. I know you don't deserve it, but I want to bless you. Boom, and drops it in our lap. God has blessed us with so much. We could talk about those spiritual things that have to do with our salvation, but we could broaden our discussion. And we could talk about the Holy Spirit and and the spiritual gifts that are given to us. That's grace. We could talk about the ability to serve God, even though we are sinful. He says, I want to use you to advance my kingdom. That's grace. But let's be even more practical. We could talk about all these spiritual things. We have a bunch of cars in our parking lot. And each one of those cars is God's grace. 
to everyone who owns them because we don't deserve them. God has given them. We could talk about air conditioning and heat in this building and in our homes. That is God's grace. We could talk about the health that we have in this building and people who are able to walk here on their own feet instead of sitting in a hospital. That is God's grace. We could talk about the money that's in our pockets and our bank accounts. That is God's grace. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God gives us everything we need. Everything we have is not because we earned it. Everything we had is not because we worked the land and provided it for ourselves. Everything we had have is because God has graciously given it to us. We are a people so fortunate, so fortunate because of graciousness of God. And he has promised not only to provide everything we need right now, but everything we need for all of eternity. Graciousness. Warren Wearsby writes this. It's interesting that Paul mentions the concept of an offering just after his discussion about the resurrection. There were no chapter breaks in the old original manuscripts, which I told you about. So the readers would go right from Paul's hymn of victory into his discussion of money. Doctrine and duty go together, so do worship and works. Our giving is not in vain because our Lord is alive. It is his resurrection power that motivates us to give and to serve. God has blessed us so much. And we need to keep that idea of God's blessing in our mind. Not only has God blessed us so much, but let's, let's move from the blessing of God and let's talk about the followers of God. As I said earlier, there's a group of people in the Corinthian church who have turned from their sins and trusted in Jesus alone for their salvation. They've made that personal decision for themselves and they've stepped into the journey of faith. These followers of Jesus Christ at the church in Corinth are part of every nationality because this is a multicultural area there in Corinth. People from all over the world are living in Corinth. So there's people from every nationality in this church. There's people from both genders. They, they span the economic tiers. They come from all different backgrounds. And Jesus saves all these people from all these backgrounds and all these different moshpaj who have come to him in humility and said, I need you, I cannot survive by myself. Jesus saves them. And when he comes to them in humble faith, he makes them new creations spiritually, but he left them how they were physically, just like us. When he saved us spiritually, he left us how we were physically. That's why we have people in the hospital today. That's why we need medicine. Because we're still living in a body that is marred by sin. We're still living in a world that is marred by sin. We're still waiting for eternity to come. It's not here yet. One day we'll be on shouting ground in a perfected earth where there'll be no more brokenness, no more pain, no need for this, no need for that, because Jesus will be there and it'll be all perfect. It'll be a great and glorious day, but it's not here right now. And throughout our lives, we're going to go through these cycles where we, where we have needs that we cannot supply for, whether those needs are emotional needs or physical needs or financial needs. We'll go through those down cycles and we need the church, other followers of Christ, our brothers and sisters to step up because we can't provide for ourselves. We'll go through those low cycles, but then, then we'll come over here to this up cycle where we'll have an abundance whether it's an abundance emotionally or physically or financially, whether we recognize we, that we have the abundance or not, the abundance will be there and God has given us that abundance so that we can turn to our brothers and sisters in Christ and lift them up. 
Now I have to speak carefully. Because in my discussion of the cycle of life and the ups and the downs, I've almost painted a picture of a group of people who are givers and another group of people who are receivers. And the givers only give and the receivers only receive. But it doesn't work that way. Because the cycle of life is a lot more convoluted. Every single one of us are givers and receivers at the same time. And every single one of us are receivers and givers at the same time. There's some time, we have abundance of one thing and a need in another thing. And there's an interrelation, an interdependence. Not only is there a dichotomy, not a dichotomy of just givers and receivers, because God, when God gives his commands, he never partitions the commands. He doesn't say, you over there need to do this, but you over there, you're off the hook. He doesn't say that. His people, because of the blessing of God, are urged to respond to that blessing by blessing others. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, no matter what situation we are in, our identity is those people who are wallowing under the overwhelming blessing of God. That's our identity. Yes, we might be going through horrible pain. We might be going through misery. We might be depressed. We might not know what's going to happen tomorrow, and it's just this blackness that we're walking through. But that situation doesn't define us. I don't want to minimize the pain. I don't want to minimize the hardship or the emotional angst that goes on, but those things don't define us. What defines us is that we are wallowing under the overwhelming blessing of God. We're not to wallow in self-pity. We're not to wallow in victimhood, but we're to live with an overwhelming realization of how much we've been blessed. I've been talking with someone this week who has been going through a hard time, and and that person could be sitting and, and saying, woe is me of what's going on. But every time I talk to this person, she always comes back and says, I'm so grateful of the joy that Christ gives me. And I know he is with me, walking with me through this. She's not wallowing in self-pity or victimhood. She's realizing that she is the recipient of the overwhelming blessing of God. And when we realize that, we can seize that identity and live according to it. Knowing that identity, that we are those who are wallowing under the overwhelming blessing of God, we can read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 a little differently and put a little different emphasis on another part of it. He says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and all times, having all you need, which is great, you will abound in every good work. God gives us the blessing that we might turn around and use it for him. So we can abound in every good work. We've looked at the blessing of God. We've looked at the followers of God, the ones who are recipients of God's blessing. Let's look what that, talk about what that looks like. Because of the blessing of God, the followers of God give. Or as I said before, God has blessed us, so let's bless others. In our text, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 2, he says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should have set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. 
Paul has an expectation that this church, the church in Corinth and the church in Galatians, and if you could read the Bible, you talk about the church in Rome and the church in Thessalonica and all these other churches, but he has an expectation that the people of God would give. The giving was not necessarily out of sense of obligation. It's not, he didn't expect the churches to give because, oh, I have to. But it was out of an understanding of all the ways that God has blessed us. Like we talked about, God has blessed us and we're under that overwhelming blessing. And therefore, we give out of that. It's interesting that in the early church, if you study Acts, whenever people turned to Jesus in faith, they always turned around and started giving to people in need. It just, boom, happened. We could look at the very beginning, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 45. Uh, This is the start of the church. Paul has preached at the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people have come to faith. And now it says those people, they've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is the definition of the church, what the church does. And we love studying this verse because it's so uplifting. This is what God's people do. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. We love this verse too because we love signs and wonders. We love seeing God work and it's very uplifting. And it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. And that's the verse we jump over because it's an uncomfortable verse. But why? Why did it happen that people turned to Jesus in faith and all of a sudden started giving to people in need? Because Paul and the early church, those church leaders, they they didn't call people saying, hey, you must do this. You have to give a tithe. Jews did that. That was part of the law. The early church, they didn't have this concept of tithe. It wasn't done out of obligation. The terms they used were, hey, this is a gift of kindness or gift of generosity. It was an outflowing of the blessing that God has given. It was an act of service. It was an act of fellowship, partnership, sharing, or solidarity with believers from around the world. It was a blessing. It was an act of service to God. Paul and the rest of the apostles and most of the early church realized that what they did with their finances showed who they worshipped. And they resolved that they wanted to show with all of their life, including their finances, that God was their God and nothing else was. They lived in a world where money was worshipped and they said, that's not going to be us. We want to drastically show our community that God is our God and nothing else is. That God is the one who has provided for me. I haven't done it. Everything I have is because of God's blessing. So I want the world to see that God has provided and I know he will continue to provide. And because he has provided, I want to turn around and use that provision to bless someone else. Because of the blessing of God, the followers of God give. Because of the blessing of God, the followers of God give from the provision of God. Now this is where it starts getting a mouthful. And just in case you forgot the short phrase we're supposed to remember, is God has blessed us, so let's bless others. Some people might look at the concept of giving and they say, you know what, that's great. I I understand God is blessed and, and, and there's things that need to be done but have you seen my bank account? Have you? It's non-existent. There are a lot of people I know that live paycheck to paycheck and they don't know how they're going to pay their utilities this next month. They don't know how they're going to put food on the table, much less take some money out to give to someone else. And those people look at these passages and they say, you know what, that's great, but Paul is meaning those who have enough dough. 
Those who can afford it, they can give. But unfortunately, Corinth was a lot like our church. They had people from all levels of the socioeconomic scale. They had people who were well-off, and they had people who were barely scraping by, and they had slaves who did not have an income at all going to this church. And Paul looks at this church in Corinth, and he does not say, on the first day of every week, each one of you who are rich set set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. He doesn't say that. He says, on the first day of every week, each one of you, each one of you, should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. He expected everyone who was a follower of Christ to worship with their wallet, and they were to do it in keeping with their income. The NIV translates this phrase this way, and I understand why they translated it that way. I don't really like it because there were people in Corinth who did not have income, and the word they use for income isn't necessarily generally used for income. It's a better translation where it said, hey, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with whatever success or prosperity may have come their way that week. That's a better translation for it. It's saying, you know what? God has blessed me this week, and I'm going to give out of that blessing. It's the person walking along the sidewalk like my father-in-law does. He never looks around. He is always looking down, and he has picked up so much coin off the ground. It is unbelievable. But it's that person looking down, and they see a dime, they pick it up and say, wow, thank you, God, for this dime. I'm not going to stick it in my pocket. I'm going to go and use it to be a blessing to someone else. Paul says, in keeping with whatever success or prosperity may have come your way this week, whether it is your income, whether it is a gift that has been given, whether it is a dime that you found on the ground, we are to give. The early church didn't do a tithe. The Jews did, because that was part of the law. But the rest of the Gentiles and all that, they didn't do a tithe. And I remember the first time I heard that. I was like, yes, that's awesome. I don't have to give as much to God. We don't like to give the concept of tithe. It's just so burdensome. Who wants to give 10%? But then I found out the rest of the story. Back when I was a young whippersnapper. See, the early church didn't give a tithe. Some people say, you're still a young whippersnapper. The early church didn't give a tithe. They gave more than a tithe of their income. Many of the rich sold houses and properties, and all the money from that house and property they gave to the church to be used for the needy. That's so much more than a tithe. That's 100% of that. Those who who were poor couldn't sell their houses and properties, but they gave. They saw what they needed, and they saw the needs over there and said, you know what? I'm going to give all this and that because I know God will provide. They gave. I like to tell people that a tie, the 10%, is a good baseline, not because we want to follow a rule, but it's to show, hey, to ourselves and to the world that finances are not my God. And so we, we sit down with our budget, and we say, okay, this part I'm going to give to God, give back to God. And the rest of this now, I'm going to partition for my utilities and food and fun things and all that. But the first thing I do is give back to God because I want myself, my family, and the world to know that finances are not my God. God is. That finances are not, I'm not providing it. God is doing it. Dave Ramsey said it this way. Let us live and give like no one else. There's the quote. Let us live and give like no one else. If you want to know more about that, you can join one of our Financial Peace University classes. And I need to preach faster. That clock is mocking me. 
Because of the blessing of God, the followers of God give from the provision of God. Because of the blessing of God, the followers of God give from the provision of God to bless others. Again, a mouthful. I was supposed to preach this sermon last week, but I didn't want to preach on giving the first week back from sabbatical. It just didn't seem right. So that's the mouthful that we're learning. Because of the blessing of God, the followers of God give from the provision of God to bless others. Blah, blah, blah. What was the small phrase we were supposed to remember? Close. God has blessed us, so let's bless others. Roxy shortened it even more. We give because God gives. Thank you, Roxy. So what is our giving, our offering to be used for? If God has blessed us, and our identity is those who have been blessed, and so we give out of that blessing, what do we give for? What is our offering to be used for? This passage that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 16 focuses solely on giving to those who are followers of Christ, who are needy, and who are not in their community. They're taking this offering to give to the people in Jerusalem, as verse 3 says. Jerusalem, there's a famine going on, and many people in Jerusalem don't have work, they don't have enough food to eat, and so the Corinthians said, hey, we want to give to help those. It'd be like us saying, hey, there's a famine going on in Omaha, and there's believers of Christ who are starving, and so we take up an offering and we send to them, which kind of rubs me wrong, because I, I really don't like helping Omaha sometimes, and that's my own sin. I shouldn't say that in live media. <laughs> but that's what they did. They said there's this metropolis over there and they're hurting and we who are in the small town rural area are going to help them out. And so they did it. We see Paul taking collections for poor Christians in many of the places he ministers to. We see it in Galatians 2. We see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. We see it in Romans 15, all these different things. We see this ministry throughout Acts of church taking a collection for the poor. We took up a collection to help those in Ukraine, refugees. And they didn't have what they needed when they moved to other areas in Europe. And so we took a collection to help them as they resettled into their new life. It's what we do. And through Acts, as they take up these collections for the poor, we see the advancement of the gospel through the rich and through the poor. People who see a church stepping up and saying, we want to help and minister to those that no one else is doing it, the outcasts. And as people saw the church ministering to the outcasts, they came to Christ. Our church has a line item in our budget where if people can't pay their utilities or their rent, they don't have food, they don't, can't, they don't have gas in the car, we'll, I'll, we'll take them to the grocery store, we'll send a check to the city office, we'll take them to the gas station, and we'll help them out. And we'll say, hey, this is a gift from God to you. We had some people who were going down to Omaha and they didn't have enough gas in their car to go down to Omaha. So I filled up their gas and they drove down to Omaha to the hospital down there. It's a way to show, hey, God has blessed us and we want to bless those who don't have enough. Before this offering for the poor was taken, the church was also taking an offering for the leadership of the church. A year ago, October 16th, almost a year from ago today, I preached a very awkward sermon on 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. He says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes, who tends a flock and does not drink the milk. And Paul continues to talk about those who preach the gospel, who pass to church, deserve to be paid for what they do. And it's very awkward to stand up here and preach a sermon on, hey, you need to give me money. <laughs> Pastors aren't supposed to do that. But it came through, the, it was this passage, so I had to talk about it. 
God has blessed us, so we are to bless others by giving so the need to be taken care of, so the pastor might be taken care of. But in addition to all that, there was also an offering taken up in these early churches for the church ministry. We use these offerings for caring for the building and grounds, for outreaches, for Sunday schools and youth groups, for, for materials and curriculums, and for meals at funerals and all that sort of stuff because we want to bless people spiritually and physically and we use this money. God has blessed us, so let's bless others. Now, can I be a little practical right now? Is that okay? Okay. We have 38 families who attend Calvary Bible Church on a semi-regular basis. I counted it up, and I was really excited to see that. If everyone is, comes here on one day, like if everyone shows up at the same time, there would be 106 people here. Pretty crazy, right? We'd have to put in some more chairs. Okay, there's 38 families who semi-regularly attend this church. Say every single one of those families was on the federal poverty line. Now that line changes depending on how many kids in your family, but we'll just say there's only three kids, okay? Only three kids. Some people have less, some people have more. But we'll say everyone's on the federal poverty line of $23,000 of yearly income. There's some people in our church that make less than that currently. But we'll say everyone's on that family poverty line. 38 families, poverty line, all they make is $23,000 a year. That's what they do. If everyone tithed on that federal poverty line of their income, we could have an operating budget of this church of $87,400, which is pretty cool. Currently, with the tithing that we have, we can have an operating budget of $67,820. What would we as a church do? What would we, could we as a church do if we gave control of our finances over to God? If we said, you know what, God has blessed me so much and I want to bless others. And so we pooled our resources, not so that I could have a private jet, that's not going to happen, but so we could pool our resources and we could turn around to our community and we start reaching out to the poor in our community and say, look, God has blessed us and we don't need this. Therefore, let's pay your rent for six months. Let's, let's supply you with food. And, and you know what? We're going to throw in a couple pies and ice cream on top of it just so you know that God is amazing. What would, would we do if we opened up our hands and say, God, this is yours. Advance the kingdom with my bank account. What could this church do? Because of the blessing of God, the followers of God give from the provision of God to bless others. Now there's two words I have to add to that. Wisely and systemically. There's the two words I have to add. First, systemically. It's a nice long word that I like to say. Paul told the Corinthians in, in verse 2, he says, Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income on the first day of every week, saving it up. The early church met on Sunday, the first day of the week. Could go and why. We still do it. I'm not going to go there. He says, Hey, those who go to church, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, you are to lay aside that money systemically. Every week, put it aside. Basically, as, as your income comes in, some of us are paid every week, some of us are paid every two weeks, some of us are paid every month, some people are paid in the fall. But he says, systemically, however it comes in, set it aside immediately. It's not to be a, oh, I'm going to put it aside when I feel like it. Or, or I, you know, I don't have enough, and therefore I'm going to hold on to it until I know that everything's going to be 
provided for. It's not a, like, you know, I really didn't like that sermon, so I'm going to wait till he actually preaches something I like. Or I don't like the direction of the church, so we're going we're to hold on. It's, it's a systemic, a system of routine. God blesses us all the time, therefore we are to bless all the time. Over and over and over. Our giving is to be systemic. Our giving is to be wise, he says, wise. He says in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 3 to 4, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and sum them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Every church that gave to other Christians through the ministry of Paul, Paul never took the money and brought it to the other church. He always said, you bring some men, you take the money as a group, across the Roman Empire to that other church. You protect it, you make sure it's given, not me. He was being wise and making sure that there was nothing going on shady so that everyone knew this was the money that was given and it arrived there safely. We desire to be wise about the gifts given by God. Back to God. We used to have an offering plate in the back, but we ditched that offering plate and went to an offering box because we didn't want people's money lying out in the open. None one here would take money, I know that. But we're all sinners, and every person who walks in is a sinner, and we want people to know that we are guarding the money that people give for the ministry of God. People can just take that offering box off the wall, it's not attached. But if you take the offering box, we know you took the money, so. But we want to be wise. When we count money on the, in the back, Gene, Brooke, Dean, they count the money, and, and they're supposed to have a second person back there with them. And sometimes they come up and grab someone and say, hey, will you be back with me, here with me when I count the money? Sometimes they don't, and they're supposed to. But we're, we're supposed to have two people handling the money so that, so that we take care of it. Ro- Roxy does our finances, and she keeps the books, makes sure everything balances out, but she can't write any checks because we're trying to be wise with the money. We're supposed to be wise. And now I have hopelessly run out of time. Because of the blessing of God, the followers of God give wisely and systemically from the provision of God to bless others. That's the mouthful. That's what we're called to do, to advance the work of God in the community, to say, God, you're my God, not my finances, and I want my finances to advance the kingdom. What does that look like for us? What's the phrase we're supposed to remember? Hey, good job. God has blessed us, so let's bless others. This is not a normal communion sermon.